Hi friends, I'm Blue Mitchell, photographer, publisher, and now podcaster. You're listening to The Diffusion Tapes, a podcast where I chat with photographers, curators, and writers working in the field of fine art photography. More specifically, these tapes are conversations with people I've befriended on my journey as an artist and publisher. So now I get to learn a little more about these folks that I admire and respect, and I'm inviting you into our conversation. Welcome to The Diffusion Tapes. So here we are, the first session of the Diffusion Tapes. In this first tape, I have some pizza and morning beers with George Slade. So I first met George Slade while reviewing portfolios at Photonola. I think it was 2010. We stayed in touch and worked on a few projects together after that. George is a writer, curator, and from my experience, a walking photographic encyclopedia. He also happens to be one of the kindest people I've ever met. I caught up with George this past October at Click Photography Festival in North Carolina, a great festival where we were again reviewing portfolios, and he was bold enough to volunteer to be my very first diffusion tape guest. We talked about his history in photography, his passion for the medium, and his camaraderie with Minnesota photographers. Without further ado, here's my conversation with George Slade. So I have George Slade here with me, and we are in Durham, North Carolina, at the moment. So Room 625 of <laughs> our Marriott. recording studio, mm-hmm. 625. In our sixth floor recording studio. <laughs> yeah, we're overlooking uh, Durham downtown. It's a beautiful town, and we've just enjoyed two days' worth of reviews. Um, well, I, I enjoyed it. I hope, Blue, that you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. It was um, great. And there were... 10 of us and 20 of them is that yeah 20 20 artists and it was juried so we got to see some pretty great work a really really. great yeah uh spectrum of work you know i i I love the fact that we were able to see a lot of artists whose work wouldn't carry well you know without being seen in person Mm -hmm. oh yeah a lot of work that had yeah serious surface things going on or handmade qualities yeah, a lot of uh, object pieces. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then there were book objects that were also fascinating. And for me, you know, it felt almost like there was a divide between the handmade, you know, surface craft people. And they weren't just older people. I mean, there were younger artists who were mm-hmm. also doing really cool, you know, alternate processes, salt prints. Remember the guy who did salt prints but used pharmacological uh yeah brian Brian colbertson yeah Yeah. exactly those are great those are pretty wild it it was and and so there was this interesting combination of of work that can't really be seen at a distance or appreciated at a distance and then you know work that that seemed like it was bound for book form oh definitely, definitely you know and maybe already in book form but you know for me um the fact that i'm in minnesota kind of puts me out of out of reach of certain people. Mm. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, and I, I don't really have a gallery space per se right now, but the fact that I could bring artists themselves, I mean, there's a huge impetus, uh, motivation to bring artists to show their work. I mean, literally, because you'd want to be able to handle these things, be able to see how they reflect, how they, uh, 
you know, take the light. So, you know, that was kind of inspiring. I don't know how many airfares I can afford, but, you know, and then on the flip side. That's the perk of the reviews, though, is being able to see the work in person. Since, you know, I publish a, a print mag and most of our submissions are through digital form. I'm so fortunate to go to these reviews because seeing the work in person is really important. To exactly. Me, yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, when you are publishing the magazine, Diffusion magazine yes <laughs> um or well you're the magazine and then your books right, right right anyway so when you're doing your process of acquiring uh artists do you rely on events like this to help you know you? i didn't when i first started i didn't but um i'm so grateful now that i get invited to review work because like i said i feel like you know having that opportunity you know really if you look in the past issues of Diffusion, you'll see, like, if you looked at my review roster from review sessions, there's a lot of people on that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and because I do say, hey, when we have our next submission, you need to submit this work. I want to publish it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of special invites like that from right. the reviews because I know the work's totally appropriate for what So we you do. don't just call someone up and say, hey, it was great to see you in the review. I'm going to publish your work in the next issue, or... I don't usually I strongly encourage you to submit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't commit to that extent, because I just don't know necessarily how the next issue is going to look. You know, sometimes it's not the right time, you know? Well, one of the... I mean, one of the things that I love about publishing uh, photo books or magazines... Even to a certain degree online, like Aline Smithson's uh, Lens Scratch, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, is the number of people you can get into into the public eye. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, because exhibitions, I mean, you can probably publish 100 people for every one person you can exhibit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Given the sure. scale of expenses and, you know, I mean, exhibits are lovely and everybody wants them, but they are hard to manage from the point of view of, a, of someone who's a curator, artistic director, executive director right. of a small nonprofit. But it's also tough because there's just not, there's just not as many venues either, you know, and they're regional based. Right. So then you have, you know, you have a lot of galleries that show people from all over, but there is a lot of galleries want to show their regional people, you know, it's a tension for sure. I mean, you know, when I was running the artistic program at the Minnesota center for photography, I loved the fact that we were in Minnesota and there were scores of people who I wanted to exhibit. But then I also felt this pull to bring the world to Minnesota. Right. You know, so, and for certain funding reasons, I often had to give a little bit more preference uh, to work from Minnesota. But I was traveling around to PhotoFest and PhotoLucida and, you know, seeing a lot of work from elsewhere. Right. Um, and were you able to implement in that, in the programming? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'd say over time, um, not a big percentage of the people I had reviewed, but a significant, significant enough percentage of reviewees ended up appearing on the walls. That's great. Yeah. So the reviews work. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. They definitely work. I mean, they work on so many levels, but you know, in the past 10 or so years, I haven't been able to go to reviews as much in part because I think I I wasn't an official gatekeeper, so to speak. Mm, Um, I'd gotten, you know, my organization closed in 2008 and I found myself, you know, kind of a a scholar curator without 
uh, without a, a an office. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I I was writing and I continued to write, and um, but there's something really nice about the opportunity to interact face to face with artists. You just can't you can't beat that. You know, right. and and it works for both of us. I mean, when we go to a review, you know, we're able to see. 12 artists, 10 artists a day, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. half hour, 20 minute sessions. And the artists get the opportunity to, you know, have the equivalent experience of traveling around the country. Right. You know, they live in North Carolina, but to see you, they have to go to Portland. To see me, they have to go to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So they get that opportunity, you know, which seems pretty meaningful to me. Yeah. Well, you know, and they build relationships. That was like, that's the biggest thing for people is being, and, and the, reviewers as well being able to build relationships with the artists and the other organizations involved and, mm-hmm. and having partnerships i mean i've had a lot of partnerships happen because of other reviewers that i meet and, mm-hmm. and like they have a gallery space or they have a publication that kind of thing you can mm-hmm. you can work together with people which is really nice to yeah yeah especially if you're in minnesota you know people say oh we want to get a midwestern perspective you know oh, right. oh, we know who to talk to right <laughs> i don't think that ever happens but you know i'd like but it, it can. to happen <laughs> right right yeah well uh, i'm curious let's talk a little more about the writing piece of that i mean i met you at, at a review in photonola originally I most knew you for writing and reviewing books, mm-hmm. um, photo books. Um, how did you get into that? The exact how, I think, is is challenging to pin down. I th- but I would trace it all the way back to the beginning of my notion of scholarship and photographic history. Mm. You know, and maybe, well, I don't want to go back. There's there's like a narrative component, too, like the idea of words with photographs. Mm-hmm dates back to my dad's travel slideshows and his narrations. Um, so did he, did he actually sit the family down and totally. do slideshows and totally. narrate it essentially? Yep. Nice. Yep. yep. Do you have um, siblings? I do. You I do. have three younger siblings. Okay. And we would sit there and, you know, the air would be circulating from the slide projector, you know, mm-hmm. this warm air f- swirling around and not always in a very big room and, you know the clacking of the of the carousel and right. you know my and fan of the yeah the projector. fan of the projector <laughs> yep and then these glowing images on a stand up screen that was sort of blowing in the air also so it's almost like these pictures were coming to life and especially because we weren't in them very often oh really oh, was it his <laughs> personal travels yeah or? his travels with my mom oh, and they okay, they went okay. to i mean they were very widely traveled nice. um and so they'd come home and it be like kind of bragging, I guess. <laughs> Here's where we were Sharing without you. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. My mom well, so and dad went to... Was this in know, Minnesota? Did you grow up there? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm a St. Paul born... I have to... If you're born in St. Paul, you always have to claim that. Right. Because, you know, St. Paul is like the lesser cousin, lesser sibling... Uh, yeah, uh, I remember when I lived in North Dakota, they always said St. Paul, Minnesota. It was like one... Yeah. One place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone will assume, you know, oh, you're from Minnesota. You're from Minneapolis. Oh, right. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm from St. Paul. <laughs> oh, that's I got, that's I got what a, I meant. St. Paul, Minneapolis. Is yeah. St. Paul, Minneapolis. But I, um, at some point I got a, I got a passport and I was able to cross the river and go to Minneapolis. <laughs> you got a passport. <laughs> Special visa, travel dispensation uh, from one from the small city they to the call, big city. <laughs> yeah, they call St. Paul the last city of the East. Oh, and Minneapolis, the first city of the West. Huh? 
because St. Paul was all about trade and you know bringing goods up the Mississippi River and down from uh, Canada and northern Minnesota. Okay, okay. Minnesota was the head of navigation. Minneapolis was the head of navigation. And then Minneapolis grew up because you needed to process things. Mm-hmm. You take grain and turn it into flour. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was that was Minneapolis's uh, shtick, yeah, okay. if you will. What afforded your father and mom to to travel so much? Was that business related or just vacation? Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. I mean, later, you know, when we were kids, I think. He just had a liberal vacation schedule or something. I mean, it seemed like they were able to, you know, take off pretty regularly. I mean, Mm. if I were to go back and and log it all, it probably wouldn't be that much. Mm. But they traveled with business people sometimes. They had had a couple of friends that they regularly traveled with. And they had some friends who were pretty well-to-do. So they ended up having some, you know, some nice vacation experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and so we'd, we'd see these and, you know, at, after a certain point we were watching the slideshows and we, you know, sometimes we were in it, hmm, you know, right. and it was like, Oh, that's what you saw of us. That's how you saw us on that vacation. And my right. dad was never in the pictures because he was making the pictures. Right, right. That's, that's interesting as a child that you recognize the perspective. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so there's this this objectifying of a first-person experience, which, as I think about it, has certain interesting ties to photography. My father also used to write a Christmas letter every year. Mm. Was it long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, here's what all the kids are doing. And for us, again, it was that, it was an interesting measure of what we had done that was notable, or at least parentally significant Mm -hmm. in the past year. Did he spice it up with with interesting writing techniques or humor, or was it just a straightforward? Like he has this is a style. He ha- definitely had a style. I'm not sure I could you know name it per se, but mm-hmm. I can always recognize it. I mean, he's he's a very literate, you know, super wordy guy. I learned to do crossword puzzles from him. Mm-hmm. Or he didn't teach me, but he pushed me right, right. Um, to do crossword puzzles and you know, super big vocabulary and just a lot of respect for language. I think that gave me a really solid grounding. In grade school, I did, you know, all those things like diagramming sentences, and I took Latin, and, you know, I developed a pretty significant respect for words and for written language. You know, I wasn't a great, like, English literature student. I had a hard time reading, you know, and I was slow, you know, I just wanted to like dive into the word, really, you know, reside in every page. And uh, I learned that, you know, when you have 110 pages of Moby Dick to get through, <laughs> you know, you, you got to move a little faster. Yeah, but your uh, comprehension was there. Though. Yeah, more or less, you know, in some ways, I feel like I've been set up to look at photographs <laughs> for a long time, because I bring my own language to photographs. But yeah, you know? you and I bring and I bring 20 30 years of looking at photographs to the practice also. I was an American studies major in college, and my advisor, Alan Trachtenberg... What school was that? At Yale. I wrote two big papers for him. One was the final paper, and one was a a sophomore paper for a seminar. I really, you know, the the sophomore paper was bad. It was a bad paper. (laughs) 
I mean, looking back, it had a ton of research, a decent amount of uh, passion for the material. Right. But it was very shoddily written. And he pointed that out to me. I mean, I thought I had done, you know, an okay job. I wasn't, I didn't have super high standards for myself as a writer at that point. Were you displeased with the research piece of it? Well, I just, it was all about the research, right. you know, and it was like, I look at the, the footnotes now and I'm, you know, embarrassed that a 20 page paper had like 60 footnotes, <laughs> you know, it was just like, we got to do a little bit more work in between the mm-hmm, citations. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, two years later, when I'm writing the, the senior paper, the final paper, I got it back from Alan, and he was like, this is the kind of writing that we need to see more of oh, great. In, in, in the medium. So I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I still was dissatisfied with the, with the content of the paper. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't graduate summa cum laude, but I felt so happy that that was the mark that he had given me was that approval of, you know, having transformed my writing from sophomore year. Right. Did that inspire you to kind of continue with that? Well, it definitely didn't discourage me. I was wrestling with the idea of actually functioning as a photographer Mm -hmm. at the time. So you were, weren't you doing photography while you were there? Yeah. I mean, while I was at Yale, Freshman year, I spent in the darkroom of the Yale yearbook. Okay, um, yeah. And sophomore year, I was the photo editor of the yearbook because okay. I'd really put in a lot of time. Sophomore year, I also started taking class with Todd Papa George in the fine arts department. Sophomore year, the spring of sophomore year, I had Todd. I had Alan Trachtenberg's seminar, the photographer in American culture. And I had Ben Lifson for the history of photography. And that semester just blew the top of my head off. You know, this is the way, this is the way I'm going. I mean, you know, and that was 1981 and I haven't stopped. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, (laughs) so I guess for a little while I was wrestling with, you know, whether it was more interesting to continue making photographs and I hadn't really determined that I, that I could write on a long-term basis or Mm -hmm. that it would be anything sustaining and not that it's become anything financially sustaining, but emotionally and intellectually. The environment that I graduated into was sort of the pictures generation, uh, Laurie Simmons, you know, Cindy Sherman, Sherry Levine, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was this, this really anti-photographic sentiment in the mid eighties. And I just completely You know, my interest in photography had been to get things in print, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. with the yearbook. And then I was a a theater photographer for a couple of years working with the Yale Rep and the drama school. And, you know, I liked being able to put a print up on a wall quickly or get it into, into print even better. So I sort of shelved the idea of taking pictures, making pictures, taking pictures, (laughs) Because I just I was so interested in what other people were doing, and I just couldn't figure out why and and for what reason I was you know involved in the picture making side of things, mm-hmm. you know. And I knew I knew great printers, you know. And I was like, Ugh, I can't, you know. I just I don't have the patience to do it in the dark room. Oh right. I, and I didn't have I didn't have the driving motivation to do it with a particular subject matter. So I was kind of thrashing about a bit, but I I, I worked with Aperture. I worked with Magnum as a picture researcher. How did you get connected with those guys? 
Well, Aperture had a work scholarship program. I was connected with it through Carol Kismerick, who had been an editor at Aperture. Okay. Her sister, Susan Kismerick, uh, was a curator at the Museum of Modern Art for quite a while. And I met Susan Kismerick in Minneapolis in the office of the Minneapolis Institute of Arts photo curator, okay. who was a, a major, major influence in my life. And Ted, Ted Hartwell, you know, always welcomed people into his office. And I think because I wasn't a photographer, wasn't approaching him with a notion of, you know, buy my works, uh, right. do something with me. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always incredible. I mean, uh, it just seemed amazing to me. I could go in and sit in his office and, you know, we'd start smoking. I mean, this was so long ago. <laughs> you could smoke in the museum. Right. <laughs> and the and the, the offices of the photo uh, department were right off of the photo gallery, right in the middle of it, basically. Was he candid with you? He was always candid. That's I mean, great. he loved story. He was another storyteller. Mm. You know, you'd walk by, and if the door was ajar, you know, basically you could stick your head in, and, you know, you'd, a cloud of smoke would greet you. <laughs> and Ted would be in there, and... and uh, you know, we'd sit down and we'd talk for an hour, two hours. You know, and it was just like spontaneous. That's great. I mean, and, and it's the kind of access that I still really like. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes harder to manage. But I love the idea of being in a place where someone can just poke their head in and you can say, hey, what's going on? Not like you got to make an appointment with me, you know, two weeks right. in advance and you'll have 15 minutes. It's kind of and, stuffy and there's expectations. Yeah. It's nice just to be able to have a conversation. <laughs> so where was I? Um, we were talking about um, how you got connected to Aperture and Magnum. Oh, yeah. I moved moved to New York. I had high school friends who had, you know, gotten a place on the Upper West Side and they invited me to come and live with them. Okay. Then I started at Aperture and while I was at Aperture, a woman named Temple Smith was working as a picture researcher for a program a project they were doing about um, photographs of mothers and daughters. Temple and I just got to talking a lot, you know, about what she was doing. She'd been living in New York for several years. She was a roommate with Mary Virginia Swanson. Mm. They became like my big sisters. Nice. Um, what, when what what time period was this? This was I moved in 1986. Uh, started working at Aperture in 86 and then moved to Magnum uh, in 1987. And so I got talking with Temple and, you know, I actually, this was crazy. I submitted, I gave her a couple of my pictures, oh. you know, to, to look at in the mother-daughter context. Oh, interesting. She said, oh, George, you know, I, I you, your pictures actually did pretty well. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Because if I have to start behaving like a photographer again, it's going to be really challenging. Right. So Temple... It's like a good and bad thing. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Right. You know, I mean, I was working at Aperture and I was having a great time because what I was doing there, I mean, believe it or not, the thing that I enjoyed... Well, there were two things I enjoyed. One was working with book projects. Hmm. I mean, I got to work with Bruce Davidson when he made the Subway book. Oh, great. You know, and, and the editor who worked with him, uh, Larry Frisella, you know, would invite me into the sessions where they were doing the sequencing. Oh, great. You know, tearing apart the book mm-hmm. and reassembling it and just doing these, you know, sort of flips of the pages and, 
you know, this kind of idea of a, so of you a lap kind of inside knowledge of the editing process. And yeah. Even yeah. The design. Firsthand experience. Yeah. That's great. Um, and that totally left an impression with me as did watching Ted Hartwell install a show. Hmm. You know, I sat there and watched him move 80 prints around a gallery and it's just like, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, you create a language by putting one thing next to another. For sure. And if you swap those things, put them somewhere else, the language changes. Right. The, oh, the yeah. statement changes. You could, that's what I was talking to someone here at the reviews about how it was a, a one of the photographers and I was saying, you know, um, if you're a documentary photographer, you're going to want to really lead your um, gallery along with the narrative because curators can change the narrative by the way they organize your photos. Right, right. right. So it's important that the artist understands that. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, going back to the idea of books, I mean, it's really, it's so easy these days, you know, to make the step from having a box of prints to having a sequence in a book. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know, your blurb book isn't going to be the final version of the book that you do, but once you set that in motion, you help publishers I mean, I think most publishers are probably interested in seeing what you think mm -hmm. your, the progression your work is going, and more and more because you know, as the book becomes a more of an autonomous you know destination in itself, you know, an independent piece of work that a photographer does, you know, the sequence really is your statement, right? Yeah. But so, so I was at Aperture and, and watching that process happen, and the other thing I was doing uh, was meeting with photographers. Hmm. sitting down with their portfolios oh, really? and talking about them. Really? <laughs> and I was, you know, I was a 24-year-old, 25-year-old, you know, doing this this thing that, you know, I've been, I'm still doing you right, know, the last right. couple of days. Yeah. I've gotten a lot better at it, I think. <laughs> but, well, I, I was curious, too, about that, because um, when you start you know, looking at photography and seeing what's going on, you know, in the, in the current climate, right, um, the time period, you know, there's topical things mm -hmm. about photography and how it's slightly changed over the years. It's interesting, like having that, that early onset of, um, looking at work and not knowing the big picture of what's going on because you're just kind of jumping into it. And obviously mm -hmm. you were at a place where you were seeing sort of the big picture well, because um, of the organizations you're working with. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that aperture, uh, that the work that was passing through Aperture represented the broadest spectrum of photographic mm -hmm. activity. But it certainly represented the people who believed that they were art photographers. Right, right. You know. And, you know, there were there are a lot of ways that Aperture was was interesting uh, in terms of the projects that they had done. I mean, and I stayed in touch with them after I finished um, the work scholarship. Nan Richardson became a friend of mine through Temple, Hmm. Temple, who ended up marrying Nan's brother, <laughs> a little bit incestuous, but uh, but Nan invited me back. You know, the, the more you talk about photography, the more people listen to you. I guess. Sure. I mean, if yeah. you're if you're making any kind of sense, you're making sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we certainly know people who talk about photography, and you kind of want to put the dimmer switch on them, right? Um, right. Or edit the mute help button. Edit. edit. Yes, thank you. That's much more kind. <laughs> Can I help you edit that statement, please? <laughs> Let's just rewind a bit. So that that opportunity, I think, to to meet with people really, you know, that fired up another part of my mind. And you know, oddly enough, the publisher 
who was upstairs in the in the office, you know, the publisher became aware of the fact that I was inviting photographers to sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. And he called me into his office and he said, uh, you know, George, I think you're really too engaged in the adventure of photography. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we, we need to keep, we need to keep, you know, it's like he wanted to be sure that everyone knew that Aperture was a gatekeeper, mm-hmm. you know, and that we weren't super accessible. Right. You know, and trying to keep up that, <laughs> that, that aloofness. Right. Um, right. You know, and I wouldn't meet with everybody, but, you know, I met with a lot of people. And well, at the same time, he's saying kind of like slapping your hand, but also uh, it's a bit of a compliment at the same time. Right, right, right. And that's what I took away from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one part of me was saying, you know, I'm getting paid $250 a month. You can't tell me, <laughs> right. you know, that that I'm, well, that the adventure is, is this, you know, is financial. You know, and, and I need to, you know, I, I was able to get a lot of books out of the deal, you know, and, and I was able to, um, you know, I mean, I met with some great people. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were networking too. Well, yeah. I mean, well, Temple was really my big network Mm -hmm. because Temple then introduced me to the people at Magnum. Sure. You know, she introduced me to Swan and, you know, we had just some really wonderful dinners over at their place. Uh, And when the Magnum meeting was in New York, there were just carouses, you know. So working with Magnum was a, was a great experience. Uh, again, a lot of a lot about storytelling and and also storytelling with pictures because I worked in the library and we mm. did, we did picture research. Okay, um, you know, helping other publishers build out stories that they were trying to tell. Right. Know, it's often like a textbook, you know, psychology textbook or a economics. Hmm. But you know, so that was that was I think a really really interesting opportunity too. I in some ways, if I could. You know, backtrack. I th- I would love to still be working at Magnum. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, and I and I don't think I could have stayed a picture researcher forever. But that was a great job. You know, and that I sounds great. I just you know beefed up my my reservoir of images. You know, sure. with the photographers who were there, and I got to meet a lot of them. So, also, like the the language of photography. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Really another just... another dialect if you will right yeah you know so I, i've i've continued to encounter different tribes if you will when i think about dialect i'm like a margaret mead kind of thing you know <laughs> tribes, go to the deepest, word. <laughs> deepest deepest dark rooms of uh minnetonka i guess maybe being a minnesotan means that you're always in the middle of things hmm, right you know that you have a sense of balance between one coast and the other right. You know, and like I'm a pretty, literally and figuratively. <laughs> you know, I'm a pretty even keel person, so you know, I like to listen carefully. You know, for whatever reason, over since I worked with Alan Trachtenberg, I've you know amassed enough knowledge that people now want to listen to me talk, mm-hmm. which always surprises me in a way. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I feel like when I met you, um, and I'm sure I've talked to other people that know you, I was just amazed by the the wealth of knowledge with the, you didn't have to resort to your notebook <laughs> oh that's <laughs> in fact for sure. i remember one of my first experience i think it was that the second review i had with you in photo lucida there was a um, i think it was a um, ambrotype up on the wall and i wasn't 100 percent sure about the ambrotype um, mm-hmm. if it was an ambrotype because it wasn't labeled mm-hmm. and because i was relatively new um to alternative process work and i didn't want to miss 
uh, tell somebody else. Yeah. So there was an artist there. that was like, Hey, what's the process? And I'm like, I think it's an amber type. I'm going to grab this guy over here. that knows everything about photo history. And that was me. <laughs> yeah. So I walked over and pulled you over. I'm like, Hey, tell us about this print. And I, and I fed you <laughs> and some you said, Oh, you said it so beautifully. I was like, see, that's why I brought him over. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. They were so impressed. <laughs> well, see, no one tells me this stuff. Yeah. Well, that's why we're doing a podcast. <laughs> okay, good. good. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so you know, I guess I guess that kind of expertise kind of creeps up on you. Sure. You know, all of a yeah. sudden, you know, I mean, in the last ten years since MCP closed, I turned fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I turned fifty, and then I started forgetting things. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you at MCP? What is it? The Minnesota Minnesota Center, Center for Photography. Photography. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was an organization that ran from nineteen ninety to two thousand eight. Okay. And I had I was like one of their first guest curators. Oh, okay. And that was about 1993. I curated a show about cars in Minnesota. It's called oh, wow. Automotive Minnesota. Hmm. And I had were they t- like uh, was the photographs were they like commercial were they slick or were they no more no artistic sort of non slick. Okay. I mean yeah I mean people who were more in a journalistic vein. Okay. Um, but not all. I mean they're you know, sort of personal documentarians. Mm. And I pulled a couple of historical images of okay. car wrecks and whatnot mm. from the, you know, from the historical society archives. I mean, it really was a acknowledgement on my part of a couple of photographs that I had seen okay. by Minnesota based photographers um, that reflected something very characteristic of Minnesota, you know, whether it's snow or, you know, advertising that reflects Minnesota products mm-hmm. or, you know. So the car was sort of the vehicle to carry that. Nicely stated. <laughs> yeah. It was freighted with the... Pun unintended. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was intended. So, yeah, I mean, and that was... So that was their first guest-curated exhibition. Huh? And, you know, and it surprised a lot of people. I mean, because I, somehow I'd gotten the idea that, that group shows, you know, were sort of the pinnacle of what a curator does. You know, when you when you start to see things that you know that relate to each other, right. and it's that notion of uh, Ted in the gallery, you know, mo- dancing these pictures around mm-hmm. the space. Mm-hmm. You know, how does your language evolve as a result of what you see? And, and in every group show I've done, you know, that for me is the most fun moment. You know, after I've identified the photographers, decided mm-hmm. what they're, you know, what we're going to show, then to have all the work in the room. And then just do that dance, you know, start moving pictures mm-hmm. around. It's just like, that's my dream. <laughs> that's great. Is there any, do you have any standout shows from your tenure there? Well, the biggest, most ambitious show that I, that I did was, I don't know, sometimes I think it was the last straw for the organization, but it was, it was um, a show called Three Gorges, mm. uh, which involved going to China uh, and researching, uh, finding photographers in China who had photographed the effects of the Three Gorges Dam mm. on the Yangtze River and the flooding upstream that happened as a result of that. The minute I thought of this show, well, the minute I thought of the show, I was like, or I read a piece in the New Yorker, and you know, the, do you just, remember what year this was? This, I think, I read the piece in two thousand five. Okay. There was one photograph in the piece in the New Yorker, and it just just rang this huge bell with me. I'm like, 
geez. And I thought about this story, you know, this gigantic concrete object, like a mile and three quarters in length, you know, mm-hmm. across the river and, you know, the, the ambition that it represented, you know, and the damage that it, that it caused. And I'm like, this is a show. Right. But I wasn't a hundred percent sure how it was going to happen. And if I had the, the chutzpah to bring it off, were you seeing uh, photographers d- documenting it? I mean, how did you find images? I I knew like an Ed Bertinsky, I think. I mean, we had Bertinsky in the show. Hmm. A couple of other people whose works I started seeing. And so there was this little buzz that started, you know, it's like there's something mm-hmm. there. Something there's something there. Yeah. But there's something I, I'm, I know I'm not able to get. You know, I was still mulling it over. And, and I went to a deli near the uh, MCP gallery. Hmm. And ran into a guy I knew who was a professor of Chinese history. Okay. And I said, you know, uh, his name was Ramine Taylor. And I said, Ramine, you know, I, I just ha- you could you could pr- maybe help me with this because I, I have this idea about you know the the Three Gorges Dam and and he he immediately like like blurted out, you have to do this show. Huh. Wow like set me back <laughs> you know he's like this is this is the you know the last major explosion of communist dictatorial rule i mean i can't remember how he phrased it right but, but he exactly. knew it was important and so at that moment i i started you know really in earnest and i i applied to the nea and got funding to go to china mm. because i knew that there was going to be work i mean that i had been going to reviews right. and so i i had little you know, pockets of people that I knew about, but I was like, I have to go to China because yeah, there's going to be there. people there mm-hmm. who don't participate in the international marketplace. Right. You know, I have to go and, and share breath with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately I had a friend in the twin cities who was born in Shanghai and, you know, big, you know, interested in photography, Jameson, Jameson Chen was his name. And Jameson, caught wind of the fact that I was interested in this. And he's hmm. like, you know, I'll go to China with you. Oh, great. And, I, <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I don't speak Chinese. I right, don't speak Mandarin. Right, you know, it's not yeah. one of my languages. Mm-hmm. And if I was to go with a, with a tour group or something, I would never have gotten the work done. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have the access that you needed. Right? So I, so I've met a lot of photographers ended up bringing the work of 11 of them. Wow. Back to Minnesota. So, and how did you guys arrange to meet these photographers? Well, Jameson knew the knew the territory. Okay, I mean, there was a group uh, who were a group of photographers called the one seventy five one seventy five M because, and that reflected one hundred and seventy five meters, okay. which was the high point of the waters. Oh, okay, and there you could go through towns and you could see these markings that said one hundred and seventy five M. Like on the buildings? Yeah, on oh, the buildings. And like, wow. if you're below this, you're going to be underwater. Water. So we, we met that group. We took a, a couple of day cruise down from Chongqing to the dam site itself. And that was remarkable. Anyway, so we had the 11 Chinese artists. And I, took the, I found 11 other people from outside, non-Chinese artists. And so it was a huge undertaking. Got a lot of critical notice. You know, but in a way, it was maybe too big for you know, that, a little nonprofit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have done it at the MIA or, you know, some larger organization. But, right. you know, because we were feeling very nimble 
and very adventurous. You know, we ended up being able to bring four or five of the artists from China wow, over great. to the Twin Cities. and But that was really an, an adventure for them, too. Oh, it was major. Yeah. Got, uh, you know, one of the local critics, or rather the local critic uh, for the Tribune, you know, named it as the best photo show of 2017 or whatever. And, you know, so we were all, like, psyched. And this was... This was our this was our moment. MC what year was, was it? It wasn't 2017. It was 2007. Did 2007. I say 2017? Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to make sure. Like, yeah. oh, that was just last year. <laughs> <laughs> seems like just yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so so we entered 2008 thinking, wow, we can, we're firing on all cylinders, you know. Mm-hmm. In August of that year, we were closed. Oh, so disheartening. And we, and we uh, you know, we only learned about the closure at the beginning of July. I was like, what the, you know, what happened? Who pulled that rug? It's weird timing-wise, too, since you just had such an amazing, you know, know. exhibition with some, probably some national eyes looking on it and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting Mm -hmm. good reviews. But again, we were in Minnesota, so, you know, it was, it wasn't a major media market, perhaps, you know, I don't know. It was maybe the curse of of ambition, (laughs) the curse of growing too big. Right. So tell me, so after that, um, you went to Boston. I did. Yeah. Yep. Was it directly after that or was there? No, I, I was in a period of mourning, <laughs> I think, uh, and confusion and sure. loss. Yeah. Um, you know, I ended up going to graduate school and getting a degree in organizational leadership because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to. So you to, did that before Boston? Well, I did that. I started before Boston. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, I, I've got this job in Boston to be the curator and programs manager at the Photographic Resource Center. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to put that knowledge to work, mm, you know, but mm-hmm. I hadn't finished the degree. So I'm oh, like, okay. well, you know, better to have real life, uh, real time experience doing it. And, you know, I loved Boston. I loved the people, the photographers, the the intensity of the attention to photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, The work with the PRC just didn't you know if i'd been 25 30 years younger mm-hmm. i wouldn't have had the knowledge that i had so i wouldn't have gotten the job but right. i would have you know been super happy being in boston because you know in 2010 when i got the job i had you know family in minnesota mm, right you know i right. had two daughters and you know was getting involved with someone How who old had two your daughters sons. at that point so my daughters were 15 and uh 12 okay i hope i'm remembering that right <laughs> Well, kill I was just, me if I was I just curious if yeah, they, they were teens, teens yeah. or if they were younger. Yeah, yeah they were teenagers. Yeah, okay. um, and they were kind of, you know, I had moved family complications and, you know, they weren't, they weren't so much the problem. They were mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, we can come visit you in Boston. That would right, be great. Right. It would be fun for them. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, so my family situation was much more compelling in Minnesota mm-hmm. than my yeah. desire to... Be in Boston. Be in Boston, ultimately. So the pendulum kind of swung back to Minnesota. I think the pendulum's always swinging back to Minnesota. (laughs) Actually, I think Minnesota's probably the low point of the pendulum. You know, it swings out a little bit, then comes back. And, you know, because then we also moved to Michigan for a period of time. Oh, okay. My wife got a job at uh, a music uh, uh, school called Interlochen uh, Center for the Arts, Interlochen Arts Academy. And she was teaching violin there. And mm-hmm. then through a number of other complications, we ended up, you know, moving back to Minnesota again. So now, I mean, I feel like the pendulum is kind of coming to rest. Right. <laughs> um, and that's good. 
So um, at Boston, what was your... Uh, so you were there two years? Less than two years? It was less than two years. Okay. What was your what your job like there? Well, we had a gallery. We had programs. Um, I helped reinvigorate or sort of reinvent, rebirth um, a publication. Mm. Uh, the PRC had had a, a publication called In the Loop. Leslie and others had been involved in keeping that moving for a period of time. And then it sort of faded, fizzled mm-hmm. a bit. The director at the PRC at the time when I came on had a lot of graphic design experience mm. and I had a lot of editorial experience. Sure. So, you know, we talked to the board and kind of got the go ahead to, you know, reinvigorate that magazine. Right, and we, right. we, we rechristened it as loop, just loop. Yeah, I remember loop. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, I was pretty thrilled with that. I mean, I was <laughs> fun. Oddly enough. I mean, the two of the issues that I edited had cover stories about artists from Minnesota Oh, wow, the irony. <laughs> so I was, I was keeping the home fires burning in a yeah, sense. for sure. I mean, when I was at MCP, I mean, this is one of the things I did with MCP back in, you know, the, the 90s. I guest curated a couple of shows, and then I also started a journal there, and uh, the Parts Journal, it was called. So I edited that, and I did a ton of writing for that. You know. The Parts Journal. What was the Parts journal's journal. focus? Uh, it was like the house organ of parts photographic arts. Okay. I mean, it had been kind of a newsletter, you know, me being kind of beefed it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> more portfolios, better reproductions, mm-hmm. um, probably better at uh, writing. I'm sure. Maybe, maybe <laughs> possible. Um, so, you know, so I've always, you know, the idea of publications, it's just mm-hmm. yeah. written yeah. into my DNA, I think. Well, definitely. Yeah. So how many, let's, let's jump forward a little bit. You're back in Minnesota now, but you've been constantly, as you've been doing a lot of the stuff, doing freelance book reviews for photo eye. Right. Um, and you've yeah. done, you've done a lot of um, writing for monographs yep. and monographs and essays. Yeah. So you have, and black and white magazine. I've been writing a lot of features and spotlights for, for mm-hmm. them over the last three years. I mean, it, Great. yeah. So how many how many books do you think you've done for photo eye? Well, it's countable. It's countable. <laughs> it's not it's not an infinite number. Mm-hmm. And you know, for a while I think I was like one of the biggest contributors, but mm-hmm. it, I've really slowed down a lot. I, and it's probably at, at maybe 30 at sure. the most. Yeah. That's a lot. I I know uh, how you how you treat the reviews cuz I've had you reviews books for us before and so um, oh, yeah, I know Jake's, that Jake's I know book, that right? you take yeah. a book and you really spend the time absorbing it before you start writing, and I really appreciate that because I think that that really to give a good review—that's the only way to. I can't. You know, I don't know any other way to do well, it. Well, in Jake's, you had a lot of lot to read. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we put a lot of writing in there. <laughs> it's true, but but it all it all you know it was appropriate. It fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the pictures were incredibly rich with personality. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they always made me want to look more and know more. And you get to a certain point where you don't understand, right. you know, a woman standing in a Cadillac and tattoos, you know, I mm-hmm. think I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, all right, it's an amazing image, but what is this character? Right. You know, and, and how does the character in the photograph align with the photographer making it? Right. You know, well, what's the yeah, nature of their exchange? Sure, yeah. That makes sense, too, because, you know, in his case, Jake's taking photos of people he knows. So there's also this other element of, is this is this fiction or is this 
you know what, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he does have this line there. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of and it's like, another tribe, you know I mean? I mm -hmm. learned to certainly, I learned to kind of, you know, enter their tribe. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's almost that. like opening it up. Somebody open the doors for the tribe. Uh -huh. <laughs> Here you go. Here's what's going on. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you doing that. I think. Well, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. With books, I mean, or portfolios or just sitting and talking to someone, you know, I don't know much going into this exchange mm -hmm. with whoever you are or right. whatever the book is. I mean, about this thing. I mean, right. I have a huge body of knowledge and I, you know, I could just immediately plunge in and say, Oh, this is just like the Americans or right. this is just like mm -hmm. Alex Oates book. You know? Right. Right. You know, but I, I've learned over time that you kind of have to ask permission mm -hmm. of a photographer, especially if you're sitting across, you know, a review table from, you know, do you want to know? Mm -hmm. who this relates to and it's interesting that you that you're um <laughs> that you're kind enough to to feel them out first because i know other mm -hmm. people will just jump right in and say oh this looks like blah 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 maybe you should be looking at their work you know and i feel sometimes artists who don't have the same kind of knowledge as someone like you does they get a little intimidated when people are saying hey you look your work looks like this person you know right. uh, and it's not to be an insult of it's just that you're trying to help educate them number one but also um, maybe there's some important things about these other people that you should be looking at you mm -hmm. know that could actually help your work we're not trying to say that right. you're copying somebody well you know it's like <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll position that reference in my head mm -hmm. and keep talking and sort of you know bounce you know, use that reference as a sort of sounding point mm -hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll work, I'll work with the, the conversation. And, you know, if it gets to a point where I'm, I'm sensing that the, that the resonance, the, the sync between the two, between the reference and the work in front of me mm -hmm. is strong enough mm -hmm. and important enough to bring up, then I'll think, okay, I'll ask because I don't want to sort of use that precedent if you will as uh as a directive right you know right. i'm thinking of alec's work but you i mean and, and i'm guessing that you know alec you know alec soth and, right you know so you know and you probably don't well and if they, you if probably they don't, don't they should look him up anyway well, if they don't <laughs> right? yeah but still i want to i want to be able to you know not badger them or, or mm -hmm. bludgeon them with mm -hmm. someone they might not know right or you know push them in a direction that might be profitable for them or might be counterproductive. Right. You know, right. so it's like, yeah. are you interested in, you know, my thoughts about some other work that would be in consonant with or resonant in some way with, with your work. Mm -hmm. And people will sometimes say yes, of course. And sometimes people will say no. Yeah. And I, and so I, it's all about tact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's about communication. It's right. not about assuming that I'm an expert. I'm not an expert in your work because mm -hmm. I've never met you before. Right. You know, your work may fit into a tradition that I'm familiar with, but I want to see what you bring to it. It's part of a, a lineage. I mean, we're all in this medium that's, you know, relatively short in its lifespan mm -hmm. um, and it's changing constantly. Yeah, it's like a baby still growing up. Yeah. <laughs> it changes every year. Baby's still a baby. Because there's technology, technology changes what the image looks like. Technology changes how how its practitioners perform. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's up to us as viewers to really pay careful attention and not just assume that every digital photographer is interested in making pigs fly. Right. You know, and that's... 
obviously in a way oversimplification, but we're all in this together, you know, and and I need to learn from the artists in order to enhance my ability to articulate what they're doing Mm -hmm. and feed back to them. So it's a transactional thing. I like that. That's great. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, that's actually a really good place for us to stop. (laughs) However, I just wanted to ask you. I'm trying to give you some nice summary statements. But um, I I just want to ask you more a question. You mentioned Alex. I I watched an interview that you you were interviewing him. And he was referring to you as his, sort of his, uh, I can't remember the term he is, but he was was talking about you being his personal archivist, right? (laughs) Do you have other artists that you feel like you have that kind of kinship with, that you know their work so well that you could kind of dive into their past? Are there other folks like that? couple of people. Um, well, Tom Arndt is probably the other person who I have really deep, long, I mean, Tom, I've known longer than Alec. Mm. Tom, you know, I got introduced to him back in the, the New York days. I mean, he's a Minnesota photographer born in 1944 in Minneapolis. You know, he lived in Chicago for like 15 years, but he was always a Minnesotan and mm. came back to Minnesota and he and his wife Sue live in St. Paul. Okay, I have a a deep, deep connection to Tom and his work. You know, with Alec, I, I was I was a huge devotee. Mm, you know, right. and in fact, I think he might be able to. He, I think he would confirm this. But when I was writing the parts journal, I wrote what I think is the first public review of his work. Wow! Well, right. Yeah, so it was 1995, I think. Hmm. Um, so I, you know, I watched him grow. Watched him grow. He was, <laughs> yeah, he was born in 1969, so he's only eight years younger than me. But mm-hmm. I, I watched him, you know, grow through a, you know this huge period right, uh, right. in his life, and it was such a cultural moment, you know, that his work reflects. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was running the McKnight Photographers Fellowships program mm-hmm. when he got a McKnight Fellowship, and you know, some of the work from Sleeping by the Mississippi made its first appearance in a show of the fellowship work. And so, you know, I, I really had this, like, a front row seat to mm-hmm. Alex's evolution. You know, it wasn't because I had formed a profound friendship with him, mm-hmm. but I got, you know, I was I was there with him, and I liked talking with him about his work, and mm-hmm. I was interested yeah. in the work. And, well, you were kind of, in a way, growing at the same time he was growing, you know? True. You know? True. And, yeah, I was only eight years older than him. Right. Still, I'm only eight years older than him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and we were both we were both maturing. But he's been he's been really, really kind. He's such an inventive, creative guy. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that everyone knows really how how his mind works. Mm. He's, he's a, a dreamer and a schemer. And, you know, and he's, you know, he enters into a publishing venture. And he enters into, you know, what was the 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 workshop for awkward storytellers or something, oh. <laughs> you know, and, and he had an RV that, you know, he put out on the road and, you know, sometimes with Magnum photographers, well, that was, that's a whole nother story, but <laughs> connecting Alec with Magnum, I didn't do it uh, myself. I'm just, mm-hmm. but thinking about that. Yeah. And Tom at one point had been approached by Magnum mm. and, you know, he decided not to go that direction. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it, it's great to know the the Minnesota, the homegrown, the the homeboys right. and girls. You know, and so I've I've loved finding that balance between local and international. And then to see someone like Alec, local, become mm-hmm. international, right? Oh, yeah, it's just like 
the boys growing up. Yeah, I'm so He's, proud. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Excellent. Well, I got to let you go, George, because yeah, you that's are right. going to go look Toby at some Mac artwork. Over is taking me over to uh, Raleigh, I guess. Yeah, and then I have a murmuration show. Mm-hmm. And there's 10 artists in that show, so you have a lot to look at before you jump on a plane. You're going to be yeah. tired. You're going to be tired. I don't care. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> it's definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Oh, it's guinea nice pig. to have you as my guinea pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah guinea pig. Yeah. That's what I, because for Toby, I curated the Murmurations mm-hmm. show. Is this she your said, first show to curate? Hers? Yeah, to, to curate? I don't know. Maybe. I think it might be. Anyway, so so she was insistent that I come over, and mm. today when we were eating lunch together, she said, "Oh, well, you're going to be my guinea pig for you know an audience for the show." <laughs> That's your day, like, man. George Slade, <laughs> guinea pig, <laughs> curator, historian, guinea pig. It's <laughs> great. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate. Hey, it. you're welcome. Okay, that's a wrap. So we didn't get into it in the interview, but George's newest project is coordinating photographic happenings with his organization called TC Photo. He's based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Check him out online at tcphotomn.org. Thank you so much for tuning into this first episode of the Diffusion Tapes. I'd like to thank my friend and the multi-talented Jeff Louvier for creating our theme song. I hope you'll revisit us for episode two, where I sit down with Lori Verba and realize... I forgot to order us Bloody Marys. Where's my fucking Bloody Mary? I know. Do they have those here? <laughs> we should have done Bloody Marys. We should have done Bloody Marys.